Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Your channel on, uh, tw- well, you've got a Twitter account. It's The Nudge and the number four. And you also have Odyssey. Yep. And Odyssey, that's called YouTube, Nudge. Twitter. And um, that's The Nudge at Odyssey. Is that right? Yes. Well, odyssey.com slash nudge. Perfect. And of course, we love Odyssey. We'll talk about them a little mm-hmm. bit later on here. And it's actually interesting that you um, you came to town right now. I mean, you told me about this a couple months ago or whatever when you were planning on uh, checking out New Hampshire or I guess coming back to New Hampshire. But I didn't know at the time when you'd reached out that you were actually a Free State Project uh, participant. You were someone who has actually already moved to New Hampshire a couple of years ago. Yep, that's correct. Uh, just before COVID, apparently. Ooh. And so you, you got here right in time. Uh, and then at some point you decided you were going to go travel the world. You ended up going to South America, El Salvador. You're a crypto guy. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know where to start with you. I guess, how did you get into libertarianism or liberty and then uh, cryptocurrency find the free state project give us a little history uh i well as uh i started on my path i guess in about 2018 i would say oh okay so Um, recently yeah that wasn't too long ago Mm -hmm. i was following the the campaign of larry sharp in new york while i was living there the governor uh campaign what were some of the key things that you really noticed when you moved here as far as differences uh, you know, just just walking around, it just feels so much freer. You actually have nature here, mm-hmm. um, fresh air, uh, especially in 2020, still able to basically go around and have more or less freedom, freedom to walk around. It wasn't locked in my apartment like it would have been if I had stayed in New York. Um, yeah, and Portsmouth was, yeah. uh, along with Keene, two of the more restrictive cities in New Hampshire, but certainly by comparison to New York City, it's right. got to be night and day. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have said this a couple times, but I think that 2020 was probably one of my most social years, actually. Wow. Um, just the community and the seacoast, the free coast, mm-hmm. um, events every week, um, no mask, anything. We were just hanging out, have a good time. We had all kinds of different events every week. We had a stand-up comedy show. We launched uh, the Community Center of the Shell. And that's that still going on. All of those things that you're talking about, that wasn't just 2020. It's still happening to this day. The Shell is incredibly active. Yeah, uh, I just saw some sort of advertisement for The Shell doing another comedy thing coming up or yeah. something. When you do activism and you go to jail, you call that a spiritual retreat, correct? I, I do, yeah. I have done that. Why do you call it a spiritual retreat? I'm just kind of curious. Well, because it's a forced vacation, uh, number one. And statism is a religion. <laughs> that that didn't uh, wasn't <laughs> the reason why I did it, but um, the idea is you've got a whole bunch of time on your hands, and you can approach time in jail from whatever kind of mindset that you want to. If you want to be there and be constantly in a state of fear, uh, I suppose you could do that. If you want to go in with the mindset of having as positive of an experience as you can make it, then that I would more recommend. Uh, If you want to take time while you're in there to do things like meditate and read books about uh, spirituality or God or, you know, the nature of the universe or whatever, uh, you can certainly do that. A lot of times those books are available on jail book carts and certainly people can send you those things. So just to uh, to take some time out for yourself, because 
really. You've got nothing else to do in a lot of cases rather than so make so it. That's why you call it that to try and make it as best for you as you can for yourself. Uh, well, my intention when I first went to jail uh, over a decade ago for civil disobedience here in Keene was to have as positive of an experience in there as I possibly could. Most people are not willing to actually live their beliefs and they just want other people to take the risks and then benefit from whatever risks are taken. But the reality is, you know, there are dangers out there. If you're doing activism and you're having an effect, there's a good chance that the people in power are going to be upset about it. If you are actually someone who is making an impact, they're going to target you. And unfortunately, that sometimes means that you have to go to jail. Uh, Martin Luther King, of course, has written about this. Oh, there have yeah. been many people who have seen the inside. Of, I think uh, Thoreau wrote about it many years ago. Yeah. And uh, it's just one of those things where if I mean, you're all, a, all of the popular activists throughout history, Gandhi, I'm thinking, yeah. right, you know, all of these folks had run ins with statists with, you know, being arrested, you know, or detained by military. Even. Many of them were much more violent. You know, you Definitely. mentioned Gandhi, you mentioned, of course, Martin Luther King. He died uh, as a result of that. Gandhi, I forget what the circumstances around his death were. Um, I don't I don't recall. and I should know because I've read. Um, a biography about him. Malcolm X, of course, another um, example of someone who was arguably right. killed by the government. Uh, there's no there's no proof to that, but you know, a lot of these people they speak loud enough, and if it's something that is against the status quo and a threat to the status quo, the status quo is going to take you down. And, and we're fortunate that it was just jail. I was a mover. I was actually working at night at first, so I didn't really start meeting people uh, within the community probably until early of twenty early twenty twenty actually. And you said 2020 was an incredibly social year for you. That's one of the things that changed for me when I moved here, and I moved in, in 2006, was there's just so much more to do socially here for liberty-minded people. And and that was true in 2006 and the early years as well, but it's way more true now. There's so much more to do. Uh, I mean, here, just in Keene alone, we uh, yesterday there was a meetup that you went to that was kind of a decentralized currency meetup. Uh, Captain and I, we were at a market day, as they call them here in Keene or in the Keene area today. There's tomorrow, a thing there's tomorrow. a social yep. uh, social Sunday event. I mean, so that's like three things to do. Well, in there was a thing days. on Friday too, up at the barbecue place. Yeah, that's where he went yeah, on, okay. uh, on right. Friday. Yeah, I missed th- out on that. There's more every week. Yeah, uh, sometimes you really have to uh, make a hard decision which one you want to attend. Correct. There's usually competing uh, events in different cities, and and it can be a difficult choice. Whereas in most places, libertarians. I mean, if they have one meeting a month, maybe it's the same five guys, <laughs> you get tired of them. Uh, some of them you don't get along with, but they're the only five libertarians, so you got to see them or whatever. And that's why a lot of people don't do anything elsewhere, because just there's no there's no headwinds. There's no community. Uh, we have that here. But you decided at some point. All right. Well, I'm settled into New Hampshire. Now I'm going to leave. And you travel down to uh, Central and South America. I don't see how anybody who's into BTC cannot see the value in having a competitive cryptocurrency market. Well, I mean, we don't have that person on the air, whoever, I, you know, know, one of these maximalists just, to defend themselves. It's just one of the questions that I have. Like, I, like, some people have accused me of being a BTC maximalist, and I go... Well, that's, that's not silly. true because well, I use many other cryptos. You have to get yourself inside the head of an authoritarian. So it's it's difficult sometimes to try to think in that idea of controlling the market instead of just letting it work. 
Yeah, it's such a bizarre uh, contradiction. It seems so clearly contradictory to say on one hand, like a lot of these Bitcoin maximalists, for listeners that don't know, a maximalist is someone who uh, believes Bitcoin is the one true coin and that no other coin will ever survive and that Bitcoin will, will be always number one and is the best and so on and so forth, even though they don't actually believe in spending it, which is a whole other thing. But they they claim that, oh, well, you have to use Bitcoin or Bitcoin's the best because it's so decentralized and, oh, these other coins are more centralized. But yet at the same time, they don't support decentralization of coins themselves, meaning they don't support having other options. They use a, the diminutive term s coins which i can't say the full word on the radio to describe all of the competition where's the caucus region we're we're talking about like the black sea region so um georgia and armenia i went to oh wow wow what's the crypto experience like over there well uh i went there in september of last year and i was had a lovely time traveling around for about three weeks in georgia Hmm. um Beautiful country, tiny country, definitely recommend it. Do you speak the native language there? No, I was able to get around with English. They also they, they speak uh, Russian as well there. Okay. Um, and how was the crypto experience there? I mean, were there people interested in it? Were there any places that, that accept it? Well, you know, it was just the timing that I was there was not ideal because they were having a president, presidential election and the Georgian Libertarian Party I was very interested to meet to meet with them. I talked to them, but they were just moving around the country hmm. uh, during this time running up to the election, and I didn't get to. But uh, they're a very interesting group. I am thinking possibly I might be able to return this spring or early summer hmm. for a couple of weeks to actually meet with the libertarians there in the caucus. Did you spend crypto with the libertarians that you encountered, or uh, were you pretty much not able to spend crypto over the, over there? Uh, you can definitely spend crypto. It's just not directly through merchants. I think mm-hmm. there might have been a couple random businesses that accepted it on the Bitcoin.com map. The way the the ACH system works, if if somebody steals your bank account information or whatever, and then they run a, a you know withdrawal from your account, and you notice it within sixty days, it's relatively easy to pull it back. And so if somebody is using your account information without your permission and they go and buy a bunch of crypto from uh, some online place like Uphold and Uphold gives them the crypto right away, then they can take the crypto and run. And then later you notice on your your bank statement that, hey, what the hell is this? You try to get the money back and then Uphold loses the money. You can get the money back from Uphold. Uphold then loses because they've lost your cash and the crypto that they sent the person. So that's probably the reason they yeah. do that. Well, that's also one of the reasons why a lot of businesses that are starting to accept cryptocurrency like the finality of a transaction. They don't have to worry right. about it getting yoinked out of their account later. Yeah, there's no chargebacks yeah. with uh, with cryptocurrency. And, of course, the business owner also gets to keep 100% of the profits, whereas if they are using, uh, you know, debit, if a customer is using a debit card or a credit card, that business owner is probably paying at least 3% out of every sale. And some credit cards, it's even more. You know, American Express might be 5, 6, uh, Discover might be 6%, something like that. Yeah. I've, I've never had to accept those things, so I don't know. I know they're bad. Uh, I know MasterCard and Visa, you're looking at probably at least 3%. Hey, Daily Digestion listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy. So, I produce the Daily Digest. 
I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. You were just telling us about getting off the plane in El Salvador, I presume the capital city. Is that San Salvador? Is that right? Uh, The airport's closer to the beach, but yeah, it's Mm -hmm. a very small country, so they're not far. And you get off the the airline and immediately you could buy something with Bitcoin, right? You're walking right through the terminal and even before you've entered the country, actually, um, the, the booth that they give out the tourist cards, which you need to enter El Salvador... Uh, a lot of countries don't need visas, mm-hmm. but you do need to buy this $12 tourist card. Hmm. And you can pay with credit card, you can pay with cash, but you can also pay with BTC now. Nice. So Now, that's something the government's doing, right? Like yes. That's, uh, they're showing off in that way. But what's the reality on the ground? Some people are saying that there just aren't a whole lot of businesses that are accepting Bitcoin despite the fact that there is a law that purportedly mandates it. And, of course, here on Free Talk Live, we're libertarians. We are against mandates. And I think Mark Falzon made a great point last night when he said that the people in El Salvador, the government gang, of course, went about it in the exact wrong manner by doing this top-down, forcing Bitcoin down people's throats, whereas we were talking about St. Martin, where people just on the ground, grassroots, are starting to use Bitcoin cash. And so the government sort of caught on to that. So we talked about the Chivo wallet, as it's called, which is apparently slang for cool down down in South America yeah. uh, or in uh, in El Salvador. I guess they're in Central America. But that this wallet was problematic from day one, apparently. I guess one of the original complaints about it was that you couldn't spend less than $5. Did you oh. try this wallet? or $5 worth of Bitcoin. Yeah. Did you try this wallet, or is it only for people who live in El Salvador? Because I hear that you have to pass and know your customer in order to get into it. You need to have an El Salvador ID to mm-hmm. install and log into the Chivo app. Um, and the way it's basically designed is for Salvadorans, either in El Salvador or abroad as immigrants working and then they can send money that way. Mm. Um, I, I I learned pretty quickly that actually I'll I'll address the there there didn't seem to be any issues with actually using the app except uh, or the people that I spoke to they said that so there were some technical issues within the first month or so but they had been pretty much resolved. Okay, there weren't good. as many stuck payments or other errors. Um, I did try to go to a supermarket and pay I think three different times. And never actually succeeded in paying with Bitcoin there. Where this El Salvador experiment started uh, was a place called Bitcoin Beach. And that's what I and I remember we read a story about it on the air. I don't remember the guy's name, but some Bitcoin fanatic went down there Mm. and managed to convince a few businesses to uh, to start taking Bitcoin and dubbed the place Bitcoin Beach. It's not actually called that. It's some I don't remember the town's name, but uh, yeah, he, he said, I'll give you all this money. On the condition that this money stays in within the community and it's used to build this community up. Hmm. So And so that happened. Uh, I don't know how many businesses take Bitcoin, but it's you're a nice to- perspective though. Like it's a excellent proposition. 
you know, voluntary way to get folks to get into cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, it started voluntary in El Salvador. Yeah, and then they forced it down people's throats with the uh, the nationwide legal tender law. I, I will say though that I believe that it is morally and ethically wrong for a state to force anything on anybody. Yep. That being said, uh, places like El Salvador, having sort of mandated it, uh, does force the industry to sort of get up to speed like you were saying the the big corporate mcdonald's i think you mentioned right. that's had, true they they were able to sort of quickly adapt and they hired some devs to like integrate with their pos system and they got it done and and they got it done so what that means is that this work this groundwork is all is being done albeit at the behest of the state were you able to spend bitcoin in B- bitcoin beach i I don't believe I did, actually. <laughs> no, there, there's hotels there, and I guess there's some street vendors that accept it. I didn't run into them while mm. I was there. Wow. Um, it's just called Beach now. Yeah, well, there was an article that we read, and I don't remember the source. It was sometime last week uh, or maybe a week ago about the sort of El Salvador, sort of like an overview of what happened, who was behind the scenes. And they talked about this Bitcoin beach where they had like a, a Bitcoin convention that they threw or like a big party or something. And then they like really dressed it up to make the place look way more Bitcoin oriented than it actually was in real life. They described it as a Potemkin village vibe, which is a reference to, I believe, the Russians, if I recall correctly, mm. that set up this sort of show village, which, of course, had nothing to do with the reality right. of communism. Yeah. Uh, but it was a place where you would take a tourist or you know somebody from another well, government. I, I wanted to spear, spearhead that assumption that it's so widespread, the Bitcoin adoption there. So the first thing I actually did, my first video that I released on Odyssey and YouTube, um, was where I just went to a market in the city of Santa Ana. And this is the second largest city in the country. Uh, It's away from San Salvador a little bit. Um, There's this big market where you just walk around and there's all these informal vendors Mm -hmm. selling any variety of goods. This is where regular Salvadorans spend their money. Did you encounter any business owners? Because I've seen this in some of the articles about El Salvador. Business owners who had taken Bitcoin and decided, nah, we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, we had one of the hotels that I went to, they they were accepting Bitcoin, and then there was some issue with their wallet, and then they stopped taking it. So And didn't and, try to fix it or right. whatever. Yeah, because some business owners, they uh, you know maybe were excited about the potential for it, but then they didn't understand at all what they were getting into. One guy said he didn't know anything about Bitcoin until all of a sudden the president of the country says all right we're doing this and you're gonna take it and so then he had heard things at that point but still didn't really know what he was getting into i mean a lot of these people probably haven't taken the time to go through an introductory bitcoin course they've just downloaded this wallet because they've been told they can get 30 dollars worth of bitcoin from the government i feel like it would have been a better idea for the president of el salvador to go okay bitcoin is legal tender here instead of it's mandatory right to say okay you know it's legal and I exactly. think that would have made it at least it would have taken the uh, the coercion out of the equation. I mean, making it that public definitely awakened a lot of people that were mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, I can use this for investments or my business can start accepting crypto. Um, but, yeah, there's also a lot other businesses that were more upset with this sudden move. I talked to a couple people at the meetup yesterday, and it it definitely seems like it is possible, like you said, with your experiment for a week here, that you can actually live on crypto in Keene. Yeah, and the other reason that I want to tell our listeners that I enjoy spending the cryptocurrency 
Uh, there's a couple of reasons, but one, uh, I don't want to pay for a government's murder spree, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't care if I'm spending it on a peer-to-peer basis or if I'm going through some other intermediary, you know, like some sort of a debit card situation or whatever. Uh, I'm spending I feel a lot better about myself as a person uh, spending cryptocurrency because I know I have eliminated the murder spree at least as much as I can on an individual basis by spending cryptocurrency on goods and services. Yeah, and I appreciate your comments, uh, Nudge, regarding this sort of grassroots effort that we have here in New Hampshire. You mentioned Portsmouth. It's sort of uh, the uh, the queen, if you will, to Keen's king of crypto. We definitely have more businesses accepting crypto here uh, per capita and even just raw numbers than uh, Portsmouth. What happened in Portsmouth was Derek J. Freeman and Steven Zeiler moved there. And, of course, they're the guys behind AnyPay. And right. those are like, if there was ever a power couple of as far as uh, New Hampshire's crypto scene, <laughs> yeah. they're definitely it. And they basically single-handedly set up almost all of those uh, businesses out in Portsmouth. I can't help but notice you're making these comments about how it would be a good thing if the dollar was weaker. Or comments that seem to imply that Bitcoin or Bitcoin users would be better off if the dollar were to fail. You know, I don't, I don't think that that's, that's, you know, I don't think that's very responsible rhetoric. Well, I think the dollar is going to fail. The dollar has been failing for yeah. many, many years, decades even. Mathematicians have put their minds to it and said it's not a question of when or, or if, it's a question of when. I mean, that- I don't relish people having their savings uh, diminished, which is ultimately what happens if you have the dollar. That that doesn't make me feel good. Um, so I understand that the people who are going to suffer the most from the decline of the dollar are the people who use the dollar. And that doesn't warm my heart. I don't feel good about that. But we do the, see what's the coming. The dollar is doing fine right now, you guys. No, you're, it's not. You're engaging in... Are you a troll? Right? Are you seriously trolling I'm us? You actually troll. believe no, the dollar's no, doing Dan, fine? Dan in Nebraska is okay, a regular caller. but I know he's regular. That doesn't mean he's so not trolling as, regularly. Well, that's true. As far as, as far as 2022 goes, has been so far, the dollar has like compared extremely well to all the other currencies. So inflation is not a rise in prices. Rises in prices are a symptom of inflation. That's what could tell you that inflation is is perhaps going on. But inflation is an increase in the money supply. That's when the government prints out more money or they increment numbers in a computer system to create from thin air more money, more dollars in our case, or in you know Chinese yuan's case, more yuan or whatever. And then that means more of the dollars are chasing around the same amount of goods, and so therefore prices go up. And in fact, by the government's own measurements, the inflation numbers are at record highs right now. I mean, does that do you care about that? Does that mean something to you? Is it a is it a problem? Yes, of course. Oh, it is a problem. But okay, this good. This is also this is something that. Um, it's it's a very recent development. It's a relatively recent development, and I, I it's possible that it's short term. I, no, I, I, I don't, don't know. I, if if you look at uh, as the nudge okay, here well, said, if you look at the chart, you know, zoom out a little bit and and go back to oh, I don't know, nineteen thirteen, for example, mm-hmm. and look at how much one dollar of value was then, and then look at today. How much is one dollar value? What can it buy you today? You're going to see a chart that uh, looks like somebody dove off a cliff. 
just wanted to say that if you want to benefit from inflation, the best way to do it is to find out uh, where the, um, in German the word is engpass, that means the place where the, the, the supply is restricted the most. For example, in John D. Rockefeller's time, it was the refining of oil, so he went into refining with um, Henry Flagler. And, they, and, they, and John D. Rockefeller said, you have to sell something where the people are standing in line to buy it. And that was fuel. People wanted it desperately badly. And the thing is, you, you keep raising the price to figure out exactly what the price is that the market will bear. In other words, if you charge too much for it at that point, you'd sell a little less. And if you sold, if you sold it for a little less, less than what the market will bear, then you'd sell more of it than you really needed to have to in order to make the most profit. And that's how you benefit the most. Yeah, so dynamic pricing, man. Well, that has nothing to do with inflation. You're just talking about setting a price in a market. Well, the reason why it has to do with inflation is because you would be the first one to benefit from inflation. As the price goes up, the market will bear a little bit more, and you'll sense that immediately. No, you don't understand. Well, what he is describing, though, is what happens to the banks and uh, what some people refer to as the elite, uh, as well as the governments, they're the first sort of, uh, they, they get the benefit first, right? When when this new money is printed by either the banks uh, or the Federal Reserve, uh, then the people who already have the money and own the money, they get the first benefit right. of that by being able to spend it first. I don't know, I was 14 or so, so 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, the national debt ceiling got raised to $10 trillion and everyone lost their mind because there was no way we could have $10 trillion in debt. And now it's like, can we please go back to that? There are 30 trillion uh, now. Yeah. 30.3. Yeah. I just pulled up the national debt clock. Uh, who, who's, so who's counting yeah. at this point? If, if inflation is a large money supply, a growing money supply chasing a dwindling good and services industry, then how does how does the debt itself affect that? How does the government's debt affect inflation? Inflation, yeah, does it? So government debt is. I'm gonna turn you down there because you got. To, I know you're you're probably calling from work. I think he said he he works in a kitchen there. Oh, that's why we're here in the dishwasher. If y'all are here, now, I'll walk outside. Yeah, yeah. So government debt is, you know, when they have, what is it, the deficit is the difference between the spending and what they bring in, right? And then I believe that goes on to the debt, if I recall correctly. I believe you're correct. Uh, The way I look at the government debt is, uh, first of all, it's their way of paying for war on the backs of the unborn. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.